All right, KISS Army, welcome to the KISS FAQ Podcast. Thank you for giving us your time today and letting us into your head. I hope we don't do any damage. This is a KISS-related podcast by the board for the board. We hope that you enjoy. Welcome to episode 270 of the KISS FAQ Podcast. And, uh... This is Greg, and where's Steve? It's like this is the lipstick panel without uh, half of you, and I'm not the guest. It's actually my show, yeah. so Greg Troyan, Greg from the lipstick panel. Welcome to the Kiss FAQ podcast. Hey, uh, you know, longtime listener, first time caller. Uh, honored to be here. Uh, it's it's nice to get away from Steve for once. He's not looking. I'm safe. He's gone. It just doesn't feel quite natural to be talking with you without Steve either on the call or lurking in the background, walking around or being somewhere nearby. I'm not sure I'm completely comfortable with this arrangement, but, well, you know, we're going to make it work. So um, for anyone who doesn't know who you are, why don't you tell everyone a little little bit about how we know each other and the podcast that you do? Yeah. So uh, hello, Internet. Uh, My name is Greg Troy and I am the lead singer for the rock band uh, Lipstick Generation, and I host a weekly podcast called The Lipstick Panel, which uh, was started as a way to just promote my band by doing a weekly music podcast, and it turned into, honestly, something much more, where it became a way to bond and make new friends and further friendships through the love of music. And so... Uh, it's mainly a music podcast where we take an album and we rank the songs from best to least best and everyone on the panel votes. So it's not just my ranking. It's not just Julian's ranking. It's everyone's rankings combined to see where everything ends up. And, it, you know, adds that sense of democracy to it. It's fun. It has that little competition edge. So you see, oh, which song's going to win? And, you know, we've done some non-music episodes, but it's mostly albums because that's the easiest to do. And we've done a lot of Kiss albums. We've we're going through the entire Kiss catalog. We're coming up at the end of it, but there's still all the all the fun side albums to do. So there's still Peter Chris solo, and you know maybe we'll do Treasure. Who knows? But there's there's a whole lot of uh you know side content to dig into. But part of the fun is my bassist and co-host Steve hadn't really listened to Kiss, so you can hear the evolution of him listening to every Kiss album in order. And becoming more and more of a fan, where at first he's like begrudging about it, and then on the uh, the one for all episode, he just did like, "Ah, I hate that I'm a Kiss fan and put Space Ace as number two, but I had to." <laughs> and so it's just it's fun seeing that that evolution. So if you want to hear like some of Virgin Ears reacting to Bang Bang You for the first time, it's the show for you. Yeah, and that was quite an episode. I mean, I've been fortunate to be on quite a few of your episodes. I mean, we did uh, Crazy Nights, managed to be... And you've had some of the people from my message board are regulars on there as well. Crazy, Crazy Mike. I mean, yep. go figure. Uh, it's been absolutely fantastic to actually get to talk, just kiss with someone off the board like that. Um Jamie Donnelly, of course, has been on a lot of the episodes that I've been a part of. But you don't just do Kiss. You don't just torture Steve with making him listen to the catalog sequentially. I have noticed a decline in his mental state since he started listening to Kiss. I mean, I really do feel like you're torturing him to a certain extent while calling it personal growth. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, Steve has tortured me with episodes, too. It's just I'm better at booking guests than he is. So he's just bad at booking, so that's why I don't get tortured as much. And I forget, like, oh, shoot, I need to do an album that I hate to make it up for Steve. So, you know, when it comes to bands that he likes, I end up doing the booking for those, too. So, like, when we did the Gojira episode, I booked that one. I book our Pumpkins episodes because uh, he's a big Smashing Pumpkins fan and wanted me to listen to the entire Pumpkins catalog, and I've been enjoying it quite a bit. So, yeah, I think um, – I don't know. I, I like a lot of the – I think I like the the challenge of the show where it's not necessarily just albums you've known and loved for years. Like I like challenging myself with music and trying to see if I can open my mind or try something different. And I think that's just, I think it makes you a more engaged musician. Like when I was, uh, I went to Summit uh, every year in high school, and they had all these different courses that you could sign up for. And um, 
what I would do is I would always sign up for the courses that I had the least respect for and I thought was the most foreign to me. So I could learn about that and grow as a musician. And so with Steve's, you know, submitting albums that like I might not initially be a fan of, I view it as a great challenge to see like, can I find something great in it? Can I grow? Can I learn? And I think that's kind of the joy of the show is like I'm furthering my bond with friends, but I'm also growing as a musician. I'm learning things. And as you know, even going through albums that I love, really dissecting them and talking about them for hours at end with friends and like getting, you know, nitty gritty with the analysis of each song, what we like, what we don't like has helped me like go back and examine my own art and say, you know, what can I do better? What can I learn from these lessons? What can I learn from what I like and what can I learn from what I don't like? And so it's been, it's been a really eye opening experience in a lot of ways and been, I think it's made me a better artist. Uh, it's made me a more open-minded person and it's helped me develop some great friendships like with yours truly. So, Absolutely. I, you know, I, I, I echo that sentiment because when someone pings you via IM and says, hey, we want to do an episode about Gene Simmons' asshole. Are you interested? You know, usually <laughs> that's not a very great conversation starter for those of us who actually lived it way back in the day. Um, but then you sit back and you play that album and you start thinking about it critically or you know the most recent one which i had to bail on the last moment with uh, peter chris's one for all and even crazy nights i mean we've sat on these phone calls with a great bunch of people for sometimes close to three hours i mean that's just an incredible amount of time that you can actually just sit there talking to fellow fans i'm sorry if you were friends together in a restaurant or a bar talking about kiss they would have already asked you to leave by then but here we are talking about an album for you know quite a long period of time and i'm so thankful i've stayed out of all of the um smashing pumpkin shit because as close, <laughs> the closest i've gotten to the pumpkins are seeing them open for kiss in 98 and musically hearing the backwards intro to one of the songs on carnival of souls where he says billy right. <laughs> that is my all i know about the smashing pumpkins and all i want to know about the smashing pumpkins and then um you've also done steinman haven't you yeah, we did a, a seven-part uh, Jim Steinman Bad for Good series. As I'm wearing my aviator sunglasses and ripping off Steinman's look, I remember everything. Uh, yeah, it's uh, I'm a big Steinman fan. He's um, been a big supporter of my music over the years, so I've been you know honored enough to interact with him through the internet and gotten you know songwriting advice and praise and uh, like I've I've loved him for years and. Like everyone in that entire Jim Steinman family has been really supportive of my music career. So Carla DeVito, Rory Dodd, like they've all been really supportive of me over the years. And uh, Jim Steinman's Bad for Good is my favorite album of all time. My favorite band is the Beatles, but my favorite individual album is Bad for Good. And so we, as like kind of a joke, we did a seven part series on it because I wanted like the episode to be long and I didn't want our Chrono Trigger episode to be our longest episode. So like, no, we're doing seven parts on bad for good. Cause it's my birthday. And then we got busy. So it didn't come out till like six months later, but still it was, it was a, a magnum opus of podcasting. And the thing is I was expecting like no one to listen to it and to just burn our fan base for like seven weeks and then we got like a whole bunch of emails and praise for it and like Steinman Facebook groups like, can you please do more seven part series? Like, are, are you serious? And a lot of them are Kiss fans were like, I loved your Steinman series. Like, oh, seriously? I just thought everyone would hate it. <laughs> and I was doing it just for me. And now I've got all these people who like want me to do these other Steinman albums as seven part series. Like, oh, man, I'm really busy. <laughs> that, <laughs> so, you know, that we'll is the key to happens. art. First of all, you do it for you. And then you hope that other people hop on board, right? Whether it's your own right. own original music, which Lipstick, you have a band, Lipstick Generation, who make your own music. You're a vibrant band. You've just changed your image up a bit, haven't you? Um, so that, that's got to be a key in what you do, is that you do it for yourself first, whether it's a podcast, whether it's art, whether it's music. And then if other people hop on board and say, you know, I dig that, then you've got somewhere to go. I think there's a there's a yes and a no to that in that the second album we did 
was a lot more doing it for us rather than doing it for other people. And that kind of became our elder in a lot of ways. Um, and so I think also Kiss's elder was, I know they said they were doing it for the critics, but I think honestly, you don't do that hard of a pivot unless you believe in it yourself. Um, and so I really think that they did the elder for themselves and thought it would do well. And then when it didn't do well, they backpedaled on it. But I think there's something to be said about um, listening to the fans, seeing what people like about what you do, and also seeing what they don't like about what you do, and, and trying to find that balance between, like, sincerely doing what you wanted to do, but also making sure you keep your fans happy. There is there is a middle ground, and you can go too far in either direction. You can pander to the fans too much and not make anything that's cool, or you can, like, just do your own thing and completely alien everybody. So it is a matter of communicating with the fans. And that's what led to the image change and the, the new single was talking with fans, seeing what they liked about us, also seeing what they didn't like about us. Because the first album we had, it sold really well. It sold well enough where we could justify a special edition re-release, and that sold really well. So we were like, man, we're on fire. We can do nothing wrong. And then the second album maybe sold... <sighs> Let's just say uh, quite a bit less than the first album. The first album sold very well, and the second album not as well. And we were still proud of it. We thought it was great. We thought the songs were great. But you can push too far in one direction. And even though to us it felt like a minor shift, it felt seismic for our fans. And so, like listening to like the entire Kiss catalog in order and analyze, you know, what they did right, what they did wrong, may have decided to do our own little, you know, taking off the makeup. Uh, instead of doing the uh, the bright colors and uh, makeup, you know, doing essentially just wearing my normal day clothes on stage, which I didn't want to do because like, man, that's boring. But then I remembered, oh, wait, I look cool. So it's OK. <laughs> you know, if I just walk around wearing leather pants anyway, that's, you know, that's actually a cool rock and roll look. And I just had to it now is that like I, I remember when I first started doing music, I did the overly glam thing because I thought if I, I want to do this, but if I pivot to this later in my career, everyone would think I'm crazy. So I have to do it now. So if I ever want to do it in the future, I can say I'm going back to my roots. And um, then I just got really used to it. So I'm like, oh, OK, now I can just do something different, do a different side of my personality. It's still me. It's still authentic, but it's a part of me that a lot of people seem to like. And gravitate towards so you know why fight it go with what people like and it's if it's still authentic it's still me it's just a different side of me yeah so i mean you were seriously glam going back a bit and now you're a little bit more judas priest and you know i, I do give you uh kudos you still got the hair to um you know you know, I'm jealous. There we go. Oh, for uh, now. Yeah, so... Uh, 29, we'll see how long it lasts. Yeah, enjoy it while it does. Trust me, buddy. Um, let's talk about the, the new song, the new video, because that is part of why you're here, and it's also very KISS-connected. Um, tell everyone what you've debuted and um, why. Yeah, so the, uh, the new single and new music video is a cover of Eric Carr's Eyes of Love, so uh, I feel like the listeners of this podcast should know it. But if you didn't know it, uh, there is a album that came out a few years back called Rockology, which is a collection of Eric Carr demos of songs he was working on for various projects, some for Kiss, some for his TV show that he was trying to get off the ground. And um, I always thought there was a lot of really strong material on that album. I always loved it from when I first bought it. And uh, with the new... We were going to release a new album as Lipstick, uh, as Lipstick Generation. We changed the band name from Lipstick to Lipstick Generation. And we were going to do a really big concept album. And we had written like somewhere between like 60 and 100 original songs, some for the album, some as single ideas. And we had just we had so many songs to choose from. And it was hard to pick what song represents the direction we want to go in? What's going to like sum up everything in a single song so that like the listeners know what to expect and what's going to define the band for this new image, this new era. And we were looking at the songs like, Oh, let's do this one. Let's do this one. 
And the thing is, any one of them would have been fine. There's like there's there's some great singles in there. But it was we were trying to define like what the band is at this point. What's the sound? What are we going for? And so then, you know, Steve and I were talking and Eyes of Love came up as an idea. We we're like, you know what? This song, I think, has the essence of what we want to do moving forward. And it's a good single. And because the demo is sort of fully produced in a lot of ways, where like there's all, all the uh, harmonies and the arrangements, it sort of takes the ego out of it of myself as a songwriter, as Steve as a songwriter, as us as producers. And we say, let's just see how close to the original we can get with still putting our own personalities on it and then seeing what we sound like and figuring out what the band sounds like. And it turns out we sound like trash era Alice Cooper. So late eighties, Alice Cooper, like, Oh, okay. Got it. So that's what we sound like. We're late eighties, Alice Cooper. Got it. Because my voice is very different than Eric Carr's. And so I can't sing it the same way as him because I'm not him. Uh, He just has a very different voice than I do. And so you know, I've uh, run into some comments online where people are like, oh, I don't like the vocal approach. I'm a different singer. You know, if Alice Cooper sang that song, he'd sound like me. And so it was just we had to still allow it to be ourselves, but like allowing like to, to take the egos of our songwriting out of it and to really like dissect the production about what made that track Drake, you know, why the drums are great, why the bass line is great, why the vocal harmonies are great, you know, why the little vocal affectations are great. Just like really getting down and dissecting it, I think made us a better band. And I think it's the best sounding track we've ever done in terms of production. I think we sound the best we've ever sounded. Uh, the video has only been out for a few days, but it's already doing pretty well on YouTube. Zero dislikes as of this recording. I'm sure everyone will flock and hit the thumbs down after that. <laughs> but as of this recording, zero dislikes, a um, little over a thousand views. And so we're we're happy with the response so far. I've got an overwhelmingly positive response from pretty much everyone about the video. So I'm pretty happy with it. Yeah, I think if anyone wants to listen to the original version and have the have anything in a song sound like the version that you first heard, go listen to that. If you want to cover it, I think you have to invest yourself into it. And, you know, obviously I'm someone who, you know, doodles around. And when I play something like Rip It Out, I don't sound like Ace. I don't want to sound like Ace because, number one, I have my own voice. And I also have my really own bad play way of playing guitar. So I think that's really important. I am a good player, man. I jammed with you on stage. I know, but we were doing rocking in the free world. I don't. I didn't forget that. Yeah, I forgot every single fucking lyric the moment I got up on stage. You know, we came out of uh, basically the Rock and Pod Expo this year in Nashville, and you live in Nashville, so we've gotten to hang in the last two years that uh, the events taken place. But you know, I packed up, I slammed. Two bears, got two more. I figured I'd bring one down for Lee because he's probably setting up everything, getting everything ready because Lee is the man when it comes to the Rock and Pod Expo jam session. He organizes everything. He gets everything set up so that all monkeys like me have to do is show up and sling on an instrument and step up to a mic and go because Lee is there and he's made everything work. Oh, yeah, Lee's the man. I was literally just texting him like a minute before this podcast. I'm like, hey, man, I got to go. Got to go talk to Julian for a bit. But, yeah, Lee's Lee's awesome. I love that guy. Yeah. Just, and- you know, Rockin' Pot is so great because it's all a lot of friends I've had on the show just hanging out in person. Like, it's it's a really great time, Rockin' Pot. Yeah, and, and Lee's one of those people. I've been, you know, able to do a few shows with him. Most recently, the uh, the Peter Chris six-pack with uh, Eric Miller for Pods and Sods. But, you know, Lee runs this very tight sh- tight ship and you know he was so busy that i didn't get a chance to give him his beer so i slammed the beers got up on stage and all of a sudden a song that i played for 30 years i'm like holy shit how's it go (laughs) so you know fortunately you were up on stage you were there ready to help out with vocals and uh we just kind of went for it it was one of the rougher songs actually from the uh from the jam session but after ralph and those guys with twisted sister and uh Aaron oh yeah, Camaro and two thousand man. You know, it, it was tough competition this year, so it, it was fun. I had a blast, but obviously, 
you know, getting back to where I think I was a moment ago before we went off on that uh, kind of tangent is that you bring yourself into a song and I'm not trying to copy Neil Young. I'm just trying to play his fucking song my way as best as I can. I'm When I'm playing Priest, I'm only trying to play that my way the best I can. And what I get out of Eyes of Love is, number one, it's great to see a band take on an Eric Carr song. We talk about how much we love Eric Carr. And I don't think you've even, have you done a Rockology episode yet on uh, the Lipstick Generation? Uh, no, we haven't. We've been mainly sticking to the main catalog and just have done like a couple side ones that felt appropriate. Like, I think boys are going to rock and just that entire Vinnie Vincent album was just like, it's a troll for Steve. Uh, same with Speedball Jam and One for All. So basically like the side albums we did were attempts to troll Steve and then him loving asshole trolled the rest of us. And so now I'm just doing Live to Win out of spite. <laughs> But, live, live to no, win's going to be fun, but, uh, you know, just getting, uh, he's going to hate it. He's going to hate it. He's like, oh, these songs aren't great. I'm like, man, whatever, you're wrong. I, I know he's going to hate it. I already know. <laughs> I made it 17 minutes into Speedball Jam, by the way. And, and that's, I mean, that's, that's as far as I could go. I, I really had to just stop because, you know, I kind of had blanked out how bad that album was after, you know, I kind of got it. I ripped it and then I saw that it wasn't tracked. It was just 73 minutes of, uh, I just don't know how to put it. I mean, because even me as a, not a great guitarist, I can't do 73 minutes of that. I guess you have to be brilliant to do that. That's why we split up into, into two episodes. There's one version where the track plays in the background and one version where you don't have to suffer through it with us. You can just hear the commentary. So, you know, we tried to be considerate for the fans out there. So one for all, I missed out on that. How did you approach that? Because when you put out the first episode, I was like, whoa, what happened with that? Uh, it was we got a lot of requests because the Speedball Jam episode is really popular. And so I kept getting like tweets and private messages and emails through the contact form of the site. Like, can you please make Steve do a live react of, of one for all? And I'm like, Sure. And it felt really weird that the cultural zeitgeist was moving us towards that. I'm like, I don't know why so many people want Steve to listen to this live, but here we go. And so we did it. And the thing is, I even though One for All has its problems, I still respect the album. And I didn't want to just do a single gag episode where we just did a reaction to it. I wanted to do a proper ranking because, I don't know, it, it feels... Uh, a little bit disingenuous to do an album with actual songs and not rank them on our show if we're going to do an episode on it. So that's why we did the the second part, which was a more traditional ranking, uh, preluded by uh, Peter Chris, a male impregnation fan fiction written by one of our regular panelists, Gavin. <laughs> oh, God, I got to catch up on some of those because I am behind the times with everything that I've been working on. So let's talk about the image change because the first song that you, you guys opened up for 8-Ball and the Rock and Roll Residency on the pre-show party for the Rock and Pod Expo in Nashville this past August. And you debuted your new image, I believe, on, you know, live that night. And you came out, your first song performed with this image was Kiss. I Stole Your Love. Yeah, it was Kiss. was absolutely fucking fantastic. I'm standing there, uh, you know, I didn't know what was coming. So once you guys announced, you went through your, you know, thing and boom, into that, you rocked the fucking house. And that was just like really fun. How did you guys decide that your first song played with this new image for the pod was going to be that song? Uh, you know, a lot of it was practicality things where we're like, okay, we're the opening band. And if we do an original right away, People might not care and might not come into the room. So what is a song that everyone at Rock and Pod loves, but something that they would think is cool and a little bit unexpected? So obviously everyone there loves Kiss. That's pretty much like a prerequisite for Rock and Pod. If you're there, you'll love Kiss. And so, okay, you know, Deuce or Detroit Rock City is, is obvious, but Kiss fans love I Stole Your Love. It's a great opener. It makes people excited when they hear it, and so that would bring people into the room. But also, uh, the first song on the first Lipstick album, uh, We're Here to Rock You, was partially inspired structure-wise by I Stole Your Love. 
uh, just like uh, the way that like the the riff interplays throughout the song. You know, it was inspired by I Stole Your Love and Burn and also just like the general sound of Crash Diet, the, the band. And so We're Here to Rock You is often our concert opener. And you can, if you compare the two, you can see like the structural similarities. So it was just a matter of like me already being aware of why it's a good opener and then just switching them out. So we didn't play We're Here to Rock You at this show. Uh, we played I Stole Your Love, which is equivalent in terms of what it accomplishes musically but with this crowd i knew it would make people outside hear it and be like whoa you know someone's playing kiss and they sound good i gotta go check this out and so it worked and then people started coming in and the crowd slowly got bigger and bigger and bigger you know it it was it was a tactical move but also it was um it was a chance for me to do a song i'd never done before like i've done Plenty of Kiss covers in my time. Uh, you know, I used to do Strutter all the time in Cleveland with my with my good buddy Billy Morris, who played in Warrant and played on the first album. And so Strutter was one of our go-to songs we would jam to. And, you know, we did a Kiss cover set maybe like a year ago. And we did, you know, It's My Life and even did a Union song. We did Love, I Don't Need It Anymore. And so did Creatures of the Night. Uh, but we picked I Stole Your Love because it felt like the best energetic opener to get people pumped and i'll be honest i actually struggled with that song for a while um because paul stanley is a very different singer than i am and so finding the right tone of voice for that song finding like the right range tonality the amount of grit it was difficult to find with my voice but then when we did it you know, it was it was killer. And then after the show, people were comparing me to Bruce Dickinson. I'm like, whoa, you're, you're wrong. But thanks. And so it was it was fun because it was a it was a challenge to, you know, take such a great song and see, can we do it justice? And uh, according to the crowd, we did. So I was very satisfied with it. Yeah, that that was really fun. And getting dragged up on stage that night. Who, who else came up? With I remember the blue haired gentleman. I can't remember his name, but uh, oh, that's a uh, that's a uh, Jace. He's a uh, he is a keyboardist vocalist from a, another band that Steve is in. But when Steve is too busy to gig with them, I take Steve's part in the band. So I play bass in that band sometimes. And then there was one show where their guitarist bailed. So then Steve played guitar and I played bass. And so I'm like their permanent part-time person where they're like, if they need a last-minute fill-in, they call me up. And uh, so they're a band called Nuclear Bubble Wrap. They've got a – their big internet hit is a song called Sharktopus. I think it has like 150,000 views on YouTube. And it's uh, – like they're kind of like a Weird Al, uh, but like a psychedelic band. So really fun guys. And Jace was on stage with us, and so was um, – Peter from I Love It Loudcast, he came up and sang. and uh, Well, he had to be dragged up. He, he didn't know that he was going up. Yeah. And it was like, you're going up. Come on, come on. you got to go up. It's easy. It's Correct. a great song. It's got a great chorus. You're going to be able to handle it. Trust me. Oh, that was uh, my single most embarrassing moment ever as a performer was when I forgot how to count. Because uh, Fight to the End is uh, more than three words. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, heat of the moment. I hadn't eaten anything all day. You know, after the show, my blood sugar was plummeting and I felt like death. I'm like, oh, I should have eaten like a sandwich or something today instead of doing that insane, like acrobatic set, jumping into the crowd, sliding on my knees and stuff. Like, you were all over all the place. That. I mean, you and Steve were just everywhere. I mean, there was no lack of energy. And I'm sitting there on my phone going, I hope I remember the lyrics. I hope I remember the lyrics. Where's the web page? Because obviously you have a lyric video for it. And. You know, I was like, I'm going to be prepared for this. I'm going to, I'm ready. And then, you know what? We get up on stage and I'm off mic the whole time. It was wonderful. I mean, it was, it was a lot of fun. The thing is like, Steve is such a great musical partner. There was a, one time we were playing this uh, anime convention and uh, there was this upper balcony area and like neither of us communicated it. But we both just like ended up there at the same time with our wireless systems. And we're like, we're just like running around doing our thing, going crazy. And then we're just like, oh, hey, you're up here too. What's up? It's <laughs> just like, it's, we have that same like ethic of just doing the best possible live show we can, playing every, you know, venue like it's the garden. You know, that kiss mentality of just like giving the people their money's worth and just going all out every show because I feel like 
Like, I can't think of any other way to do it. Like, to I just grew up on all these theatrical bands, and it's always important that the music be good and the show be good. I think there's... I think there's room for both. And I think people who go too far one direction or too far the other are are missing the importance of balance. I think it's about great songs performed well. And Steve uh, agrees with that philosophy. And that's why he's such a great partner. Yeah. And it comes across. But, you know, for me, as someone who doesn't play in a band, I, I don't do and I don't have any aspirations to ever doing anything professionally. But I'm a firm believer that at any time I get up on stage you have to give to the people who are watching you that you believe in what you're doing. Otherwise, you shouldn't be up there. Do you agree that there, there's a certain amount of truth to if you don't believe in what you're doing, get off the stage and go just be a, a practice guy in, in your bedroom or your practice room or whatever you have? Because otherwise, you shouldn't be presenting music to anyone if you don't believe in what you're doing. I, you know, it's it's funny that you say that because that was a, a problem with the band for a long time is that we had a lot of hired guns and a lot of those guys didn't want to wear the outfits. And so the what I, the comparison I would always make is like, imagine you had classic Kiss wearing the makeup. You had three guys wearing the outfits. You had, you know, uh, you had uh, Gene and Paul and uh, Peter. And then you had Ace, but instead of Ace, it was just some dude wearing T-shirt and, uh, you know, shorts with flip-flops and in a beer gut and in, in other and, words looking like the uh rock and pod jam session uh you know to, to uh, apart from you uh, well you know I, I the thing is you know i think there's like there's a there's a balance to it though and so like when you have three guys looking like kiss and one guy who doesn't look like kiss you can tell that guy on stage doesn't believe in it and that honestly that hurt us in a lot of ways where there was a time that I actually got to meet Doc McGee and I showed him the band and it's like you and the goofy looking guy with the hat, meaning Steve, you guys are great. The rest of your band, uh, they don't fit you guys at all. And so I would never like work with the band where they weren't consistent and tight. And like, I agreed with him because I was looking at the footage like, yeah, like they're just wearing t-shirt and jeans and, you know, Steve and I are doing our thing. And so I talked with the rest of the guys and I said, Hey, we should get a unified image. We should really nail this. And their comment was, well, what does that Doc McGee guy know anyway? I'm just like, gee, I don't know. He manages Kiss, a band that's still playing arenas. He's managed Bon Jovi and Motley Crue. And I feel like he probably knows a couple of things. He probably knows more than you and your shitty local bands that you're in. He's probably forgotten more than that shitty local band ever knew. Right. And so, you know, it really, it frustrated me for a long time. And that was another reason for the image change is that we were doing British Land. We were doing Slade, we were doing Sweet, we were doing, you know, Gary Glitter, except, you know, not with touching kids, because that's terrible. Uh, but we were doing old school 70s British glam, which, you know, was not huge in America, was nope. relatively obscure in America. And so we're trying to translate something from another time, from another culture, and, like, Yankees don't get it. So I'm trying to explain, you know, why, uh, you know, Slade is a great band, and... Like the the kids, like they only know American hair metal and a brief knowledge of American hair metal, where they don't even understand that. So me trying to explain explain British land to them, like they didn't get it. And so the difficulty of finding bandmates who could keep up with us musically, uh, stage wise and image wise, like we just couldn't do it. And so that was another reason for the image change because, man, any asshole can wear a leather jacket and sunglasses. Like, hey, can you wear black? Yeah, every rock musician is doing that already. You know, when we did the original image, it was sort of meant to be rebellious, almost punk rock in a way where, um, you know, every band's wearing black. Let's be different. Let's go to bright colors. You know, if punk is a fuck you to the rock norm, what is a bigger fuck you to the rock norm than wearing a rainbow colored jacket? Because that is so against, like, the fashion trend of rock. But it's just uh, we couldn't uh, we couldn't defeat the band members not wanting to wear outfits. <laughs> it was it was very difficult. And so we figured, you know what? If we can change the image to this, it won't matter if the other guys are just wearing like a black T-shirt and jeans. It won't hurt the overall brand of what we have going on. So let's change the image to this. 
a lot of our fans like this harder image anyway, where they like, oh, I like lipstick, but their image kind of weirds me out. He looks like the Mad Hatter. That so, that was that was going to be exactly kind of where I went. That it was like after a night watching Johnny Depp and the Mad Hatter. That you know, it, it was almost like that. That was where the image had come from. But do you think you give up any of that uniqueness by going with what is kind of a more standard heavy metal? Um, image. I, I must say, the person who took the photos of you performing that night absolutely fucking slayed with those shots of you because you look comfortable in your in your getup, and it seems to be a natural second skin for you. So you you don't seem to be posing in what your new image is. You seem to be completely at ease and it, it seems to be honest an honest representation of you and the music that you're presenting do you feel that giving up something that was unique or quirky um surrenders anything from you artistically you know if i'm being completely honest i think it does i would say that what lipstick was trying to do when we were still called lipstick was something original and different where we were trying to say, what if grunge never happened? If you took an 80s hairband, where would they evolve after that? What would have been the next step? And so what my idea was, was, well, they'd introduce some more 70s glam aspects into it. They'd get a little bit proggy. You know, they'd evolve. And that's what the first Lipstick album was. And the, the second album, we got a little bit more Queen-esque. We got a little bit more tongue-in-cheek. Uh, but... I feel, you know, we were trying to do something that hadn't been done before, which was mixing 70s and 80s glam uh, and also a little bit of Visual K from Japan and trying to create something new, but still like not like avant-garde. It still had to be catchy. You still had to be able to sing along to it. It still had to be recognizable as rock music. And, you know, I'm I'm proud of it, but I think there is something to be said of just like, you know, people liking what they know and knowing like when it's, you know, too far outside of the box for the, the mainstream. The thing is, like, you know, you're you're obviously aware of this, that like I've got a very wide musical background. You know, I just did a film score. I've done jazz. I've done musical theater. And I have this intensive knowledge of music history of, you know, glam bands from the 70s and visual K bands from Japan in the 90s and all these bands. And so I'm coming at the art with the historical context of what all that means. But the average listener doesn't know those same things. And so I can't assume that I have the same shorthand with the listener. And so what I had to do was take a step back and say, can I make something that if I randomly heard it, I would think was cool, but also that someone with way less musical knowledge than me would also think is cool. And like, it's, it's really, it's difficult finding that balance. And it makes me respect, you know, artists like Kiss where they did find that balance. And, um, you know, it, it honestly, it disappointed me on the last couple albums where I don't think they found that balance between doing something that was different for them, but still commercial. Um, but I think that's, you know, it's, it's it's a less unique band, but I think it's still a really great band. It's still a band I'm proud of, but obviously the band that fits more into a clear genre as opposed to me trying to create a new genre, you know, is a little bit less creative, but I think it's, uh, it's actually more of a challenge. It's more difficult to put constraints upon yourself and say, you know, how do you make this work? But it is all about being authentic. The, you know, I did an interview for Sleaze Rocks the other day, which isn't out yet, but I, I told them, like, I'm proud of the old image. I'm proud of the old uh, songs. I wouldn't change a thing about them. Uh, that rainbow jacket is just as much me as this right now. Like, I mean, I just got off work and I look like this. So this is the real me. But so is that in the same way that Paul Stanley is the star child when he's wearing that makeup. And he's also Paul Stanley when he was on the Animalized tour. Like, he's still Paul Stanley. He is who he is. It's just human beings are complex. There's different sides to people. They're not just one-dimensional. And so that's just how I view it, is that it's a different side of me. But uh, I think people can smell dishonesty uh, a mile away. And I just try to be completely honest because 
man, I've got nothing to lose, so I might as well be honest about it. Yeah, and that's exactly what the real glam bands did. They were just honest. They made their music. They Number one, they didn't really worry about their image. Look at Slade. I mean, they are the greatest example of a band that had no image. But they also progressed image-wise, because if you look at them in the 60s, to what they became in the 70s, go forward, oh, yeah. go forward to the flame, and then look at them in 84. Um, you know, they, they did, I mean, Dave was always hiding his receding hairline, but, you know, a, apart from that, you know, they didn't really go far, but they did change. They did evolve, and their music oh, yeah. certainly evolved with them. The Sweet, you know, they're kind of etched in time. People, when they think of the suite, they're probably going to get one image in their head, and that's perfectly fine because there was really one small window that really defined the suite. And Gary Glitter, uh, come on. You say the name, everyone just saw one image in their head probably, and that's yep. 1973, uh, you know. So, you know, it, it, it's a very it's very easy to kind of narrowly define someone. You're not going to get bands who can be defined by image that varies as much as, say, oh, uh, Aerosmith, because you've got a very different 70s Steven Tyler to 80s and 90s Steven Tyler. And now he's Bon Jovi, John Bon Jovi. Great example. Rob Halford. Great example. Um, oh, yeah. Glenn Freddie T Mercury. Freddie, God bless Freddie Mercury. I mean, as a kind of a glamster in some ways, but into a more progressive kind of musician, Queen, they had a definite evolution in image. They did the full, the full Elton John in some ways, because they went from the big costumes into the big productions and ended up in suits and ties. Uh, and I'm thinking Miracle being kind of the final thing. And also Elton John himself starting off as Donald Duck, then wearing suits. Yeah. And David Bowie. I mean, come on. Starman into Thin White Duke, a heroin chic into the 80s. And let's dance with the yeah, Come on, let's dance. Right. For me, I, you know, I wanted to dress like that. That was Panama Jack era for me. So in, in terms of wardrobe, everyone that was Miami Vice. So. It, image is not everything, but it's how that image ties into the music and what you're expressing that that's so critical. I, I want to talk about you as a Kiss fan a little bit as well. What is your favorite Kiss album? When you think and you need you like I need some Kiss. What is that album that you reach for that you either press play on on Spotify or however you consume your music? What is the one you go to? So my fi th those are two different albums. Uh, my favorite Kiss album is The Elder. But the one I reach for all the time is the Peter Chris 78 solo album, which is probably not selling uh, people on my band and checking them out. Um, but the, um, you know, the Elder, I think I, in my heart of hearts, you know, I've done so much music, but ultimately I am a better writer than I am a musician. Um, I've got novels that I, you know, plan on writing one day. And for me, I, I'm, I'm a storyteller, which, you know, the elder, I, it grabs me because I think there's a visceral, strong story underneath there. It is ultimately a standard hero's journey, but it feels very sincere. And uh, it reminds me of a uh, I grew up playing a, a video game series called Final Fantasy. And a lot of them, there's a lot of musical similarities between the music of that series and the elder. And so, like, to me, it clicks in my head and makes complete sense musically. I'm like, oh, yeah, this is like Final Fantasy, except like with awkward vocals. And so I, I love the elder. But the Peter Chris 78 solo album just it matches whatever mood I'm in because there's just there's infectious energy to the album. And so, like, when I'm angry, it's great. When I'm happy, it's great. When I'm taking a shower, it's great. Uh, when I'm sad, it's great. Just, like, for some reason, it matches every emotion that I have completely viscerally and just, like, touches my soul and never gets old when I listen to it. And obviously, like, I love the standards. Like, you know, Creatures is one of my favorites. Rock and Roll Over is one of my favorites. Um, I have a lot of affection for Hot in the Shade, as far as uh, 80s albums go, I think there's just uh, something about just like that late 80s, early 90s uh, sound and image really just clicks with me. But 
yeah, my most listened to, my go-to, if I'm just like instinctually grabbing a CD, not thinking about it, the lizard brain just goes towards the Peter Chris 78 solo most of the time. That's my go-to album. I'm not going to mock you because when I'm writing, when I'm working, that's the one I go to. That and Jeans, you know, which I've really kind of flipped my own dialogue over the years where when I was a teenager, it was Paul Stanley's album. Give me Paul, you know, and I'm just talking about the solo albums here. But as Mm -hmm. an adult that I've grown into music, I finally understand my my dad was a jazz musician when he was at university. They cut some recordings. I finally get it. But Peter's solo album has something for every mood. It's got some upbeat disco. It's got some ballads. It's got some rockers. I mean, it runs the gamut of every single kind of genre apart from country. And it's so beautifully executed and produced that, it, you know, it's, it's absolutely stunning. And some people will be saying, well, that's not very rock and roll. But... You know, his and Gene's album were probably the most honest of the kind of solo albums because they completely went back to their roots and they weren't afraid to present themselves for what they were. I have a, I have a great you know, deal I of respect like, for that. I feel like all the solo albums were honest. I think they were all very honest albums in, in their own ways. Uh, Paul's was emotionally vulnerable uh aces was like an explosion of creativity um jeans was just an expression of just how all over the place that dude is and and peters i think i think they were all very honest albums and i think there's moments of brilliance on all of them and there might be some moments i don't like on some of them but they're all there's i would say there's like there's yeah there's moments of brilliance on all of them uh, I will say that Gene's solo album is probably like one of my three least listened to Kiss albums. The uh, the last two studio albums and Gene's uh, 78 solo are the ones I listen to the least in the catalog. Um, so, you know, take that what you will. But there's some of my favorite Kiss songs on Gene's solo album. Um, Mr. Make Believe is one of my top tracks in the catalog. So there's even though it's one of my least listened to albums, there's moments of brilliance that I adore, and I'm still just so glad it exists. So what was the first Kiss song you ever heard? Uh, it was the first Kiss song I remember hearing was "Love Gun" when I saw them uh, open with "Love Gun" in 2004 on the Rock and Nation tour. But I mean, I'd probably heard "Rock and Roll All Night." or some other songs on the radio, but it didn't, it didn't really grab me until like I saw them live and then just everything changed. And yeah, so probably love gun was the first song I remember as being kiss. Okay. I put you through the, the, this is kind of my standard questions for anyone who comes on this show, you know, your favorite album. Um, I haven't asked you your favorite member of kiss yet, but what is your, your favorite kiss song? What is the song that Greg Troyan says, this equals kissed for me? Uh, um, it's uh, Sure No Something off Dynasty. Uh, oh, wow. Something about it just like grabs me in a, in a visceral place where I just feel the emotion from it every single time. I remember the first time I saw that video, I just, I loved it. I hadn't seen anything from the Dynasty era when I first saw the video, and so just... You know, seeing uh, the the outfits, I just loved Paul's outfit, and like I loved the vibe of it, where it had these mellow verses and then these like powerful emotive choruses, and just the solo is melodic and punchy, and uh, you know the video had the really cool um, vocal section where it showed all the faces and the darkness. I just I loved it. I loved it from first listen. And it's just, it's always been my favorite Kiss song since then. I prefer the original studio version. I know a lot of people prefer the unplugged version, but there's just a magic with that studio version that I just, I just feel every time I listen to it. Yeah. You know, I know a lot of people do pick the unplugged version and I'm often one to pick material from that album myself. But if you think of what Vinnie Poncia did for that production and the execution of it, it's just absolutely stunning. Again, we talk about great, 
crafted pop songs like Tomorrow for Paul uh, for Paul oh, yeah. Stanley Love it. as the vocalist. Sure knows something is absolutely beautiful. It is pop perfection. The arrangement, you really can't fault any aspect of that song, even if you're not into the lighter side of Kiss. You still will have people go, you know, I, I'm more of a Creatures of the Night kind of guy, but that's beautifully done. So, you know, as art, it's absolutely excellent. So, which member of Kiss, what color Kool-Aid do you drink? Which, Who is your member of Kiss when you think about Kiss and maybe everything that they contribute to the band or that you think that they contribute to what you kind of consume? I think um, Peter is my favorite member, but I think you can't be a huge Kiss fan if you're not a huge Paul Stanley fan. And so, like, because I've got the jazz background, uh, a lot of what Peter does uh, speaks to me uh, musically. But also, like, I have been in bands with basically like every stereotype that the Kiss members exemplify, where I've been in a band with, you know, a drugged up guitarist who didn't want to haul gear. Uh, I've been in bands with a guitar player who shreds all the time and threatens to sue me over every minor thing. Uh, I've also been in bands with, you know, dumb Italians who can't read. So uh, working with the Peter Chris type has made me understand why Gene and Paul hate him and just want guys who show up and play the songs and have a good attitude. But uh, so like musically, I gravitate towards him. But personality wise, I can see why Gene and Paul are infuriated <laughs> with that man as having worked with a dumb Italian drummer. Um, but I still I love his music. But I think Paul, like his his work ethic, his uh, effort to balance honesty with craft. Um, you know, I, I obviously have a lot of uh, similarities to him as a front man. Like he is just the thing about Paul is that he is consistent. Uh, he is consistently doing the best job he can all the time. And sometimes it doesn't work out, but you always know that Paul Stanley is sincerely trying. And I respect that, that work ethic of just being like, I'm going to put my best self out there it might not always hit, but I'm going to just keep trying my best versus, you know, there are times where other members phoned it in. Uh, Ace has phoned it in. Peter has phoned it in. Gene has phoned it in. But Paul Stanley has never phoned it in. And so you got to respect that as a musician. He's got, you know, he uh, used to have an amazing vocal range, one of the top singers in rock music, a very underrated rhythm player, great writer. Just an all-around talent. Like, if you don't recognize the talent of Paul Stanley, I think you're just wrong about music, is, is what it comes down to. No, to totally agree. Paul Stanley is the heart of the band. He never walked away from it. He always kept a hand on the steering board to try and keep that band going. When Gene tried to go Hollywood, Paul was there bailing water. So Paul's the reason I'm a Kiss fan. He'll always be the reason why I'm a Kiss fan. Whenever I look up at him on stage, he reminds me of why I'm a Kiss fan. I mean, he's got such personality and an aura about him that he's got that uh, charisma that only the greatest frontmen manage to pull off. And to pull off for 45 years is absolutely incredible. So let's get back to Lipstick. And your new video has been out for a bit. What are your plans for the band you've got a, a new video the eyes of love a cover of eric carr's you know incredible neglected song because no one picked it up until you guys did so it, it's great to hear an eric carr song being covered and being covered in a fantastic way i love the video where are you guys going what are your plans what are your hopes and aspirations well the music industry has changed a lot since I started doing it, uh, really started diving into it 10 years ago. Um, quite frankly, there's there's less money to go around than there was even 10 years ago. Where I remember back 10 years ago, people were saying, oh, the music industry is dead. And it, it was actually still doing pretty well for us. Um, at this point, we're considering the different options of how do we get music to the people the the best way we can because being a huge kiss fan i loved when they would do like an, you know two albums a year 
like to me, like that's what you should want to do as a musician. But it's so difficult to do that in today's market with especially in Nashville where everyone's in six bands, everyone's busy, everyone has these other projects. And when you're an independent band not making much money, you're you're losing money on the creation process. And so we're figuring out how do we get how do we continue to create music and get it out there but without ruining ourselves financially because we we insist that it has to be quality. We are not going to put out anything subpar. And so if you want to do something quality, you know, you got to make sure you pay your players. Yeah, you, you play your, you know, mastering uh, guy. You got to make sure that everyone gets paid appropriately because if you're putting out quality work that we feel competes with the best bands out there, you know, you got to you got to put in money for that. And so what we're doing with the video is we're taking it one step at a time. We're just promoting the video. We want to let it grow. We want to see if it starts to catch on. I think uh, it will. Gra- I think Kiss fans will love it, and uh, I think fans of hair metal will love it. Fans of old school rock will love it. We want to give it some time to grow, and then depending on you know what kind of uh, response we get, deciding what our next move is. If it's a full CD, or we've been touring around the idea with doing a Patreon and just releasing a song a month of that quality forever. So you give us a dollar a month. If we get enough people giving us a dollar a month, we're honestly, we only need like 80 bucks a month to make that happen. If we get 80 bucks a month, we can do a song of eyes of love quality every month. So you will get at least 12 songs per year, probably mostly originals, probably some fun covers thrown in there if we feel inspired, but we could do that basically forever. And so that way you would get an album a year, at least digitally from us, for just a dollar a month. And so if we can find, so we're talking about doing that, but we're not focusing on that right now. The main thing we're focusing on is just getting this video out there, letting people hear it, hearing the new sound, you know, playing shows around town, getting back out there with the new image. You know, we're focused on sort of one thing at a time because we have plenty of material. We're not at a shortage for material. We have too much material, if anything. And we have all these great songs that we love and we want to get out there like, oh, man, that's a great song. Oh, and it's so catchy and that'd be great. Uh, but, you know, we don't have unlimited resources. We're, we're a small independent band. I know plenty of uh, people who are making way more money than me in music. You know, uh, shoot, we had Phil Schaus on the last album and now he's playing with, uh, you know, he was playing with Gene, you know, a couple years back and now he's playing with Ace. So our friends keep moving on to bigger and better things. And uh, we're trying to say, like, what can we do in the position we're at where there's only like six or seven rock labels in the world anyway? There's so there's 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 just it's it's spread thin. There's not as much room. How do we get the best content possible to the people out there without wrecking our lives? You know, that is the goal. That's what we're trying to do. And uh, as we're figuring that out. We're just wanting people to be happy with the song that came out. We did our Game of Thrones project earlier this year, which was six new songs. So really, we released seven songs this year. So that's basically an album. So we did release seven songs, you know, studio quality this year that we're happy with. And uh, we hope to do more next year. But, you know, sort of step one is just tell people about the video, spread some love for the video. And then if we get enough people to express interest, you know, Maybe start the Patreon and start releasing stuff all the time for the people. Yeah, when you watch the video, go out and check out some of the back catalog as well, because it's all up on YouTube as well. A lot of very good material. And you know what? Number one is the new video is fun. So, you know, what I want people to get out of this episode is I've not just talked with a friend today. I've talked about music. We've talked about, you know, trying to make music. And, you know, tell people where where they can find you. I mean, you've got a home. Yeah, uh, so the band is called Lifted Generation. You can find us at lipsticgeneration.com. Uh, tying it back to Kiss, we were originally called Lipstick, and the fan club was called Lifted Generation. Kiss, Kiss Army, Lipstick, Lifted Generation. And then people kept getting the name wrong and calling us Lifted Generation. And uh, so we changed the name to that so it would be easier for people to find us on streaming services. So we're on Spotify, Apple Music, all the services. And so now that we just changed the name to Lipstick Generation, everyone is calling us Lipstick. 
So we can't win. Uh, we're wrong. <laughs> we're wrong about everything. <laughs> but um, we've joked that uh, lipstick is like the first name, so it's lipstick for short. So you're still right if you call us lipstick. You can't be wrong. You can call us generation. You can call us lipstick. You can call us lipstick generation. You know, you can call us anything but boring, or you can call us boring because that's the freedom of the internet. Do whatever you want. But uh, lipstick generation on all major streaming platforms. Um, Eyes of Love should be out on major streaming services soon. Uh, just whenever the processing goes through, uh, it should be out. Uh, so it probably will be out, I think, Thursday, according to the estimates, on streaming services. But I think watch the video. It's fun. It's a fun video. So that's I would say just check out the video, and then it'll be out on streaming soon, and then you can stream it on Spotify or Apple Music or whatever you want to stream it on. Yeah, that would be my takeaway from this. Watch the video. It's fun. And just remember that. It's fun. And, you know, I love it. I mean, I remember your guitarist who uh, had a good laugh with him at, uh, in Nashville. And, uh, you know, that's what it's about. It's about enjoying life. It's about enjoying music. And it's, uh, hey, someone's honoring Eric Carr. Can you go wrong with that? Hell no. Not from my point of view. Greg Troyan. Thank you very much for joining us on the KISS FAQ podcast today. Uh, we'll put in links for everything that we can think of to do with you guys in this episode. So check them out. Lipstick Generation. Lipstick Generation. However you want to call them. Just whatever you want to do. <laughs> just listen to them. All right, guys. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time. Peace. Thank you for spending time listening to the KISS FAQ podcast today. All sales are final. There are no refunds. If you'd like, look us up on Facebook or come over to the KISS FAQ message board and discuss the topic we've broadcast today. Don't forget to rate us on iTunes, Spreaker, or wherever you've listened to the show. We hope you'll join us again.